day, we're going to turn into the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Now, I enjoy that some of you follow along in your Bible, but if ever that becomes an issue trying to get to the scripture at the right time, um, we, kind of, we have it on the screen. Um, but uh, we don't want you to get, I don't want to say get distracted finding it, but we're going to flip around a little bit. But if you'd like to turn to John chapter 2, and John, John chapter 2, 2 John, 2 John, I'll try this again, 2 John, think of 3 John, Jude, and Revelation um, in the New Testament. 2 John is a single chapter book. 2 John is a single chapter book. So if you see 2 John 5, that's the fifth verse. It doesn't have anything more than one chapter. But then we're also going to be doing some work as uh, we would look into some other parts of the scripture. I apologize to our AV people. Um, I, was, I had it written out to give them the verses to, uh, to, to move through, uh, but they'll just have to follow along because I misplaced that, that note that I wrote for them. And so the title of today's message is Guard Your Children. Guard Your Children. Now, a subtitle could be Guard Your Household. So if you don't have children at home, you can think about guarding your household. Or you can think uh, in, in those terms, but we're going to stay with the main title as Guard Your Children. So let's turn to, again to John chapter 2, and we're going to be reading in your uh, hearing verses 4 through 11. Let's be our focus, but it's such a small chapter, we might as well read all 13 verses. So you can say you've read through a book of the Bible today, if you follow along. John, 2 John, 2 John, the only chapter that's in it, verse 1, all right? Let us begin our reading. The elder, the elder, before you're wondering what that is, the elder, um, it's thought that that's basically John saying, this is from me, the elder. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now we get into our focus verses. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. 
And we'll just conclude here with verses 12 and 13. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Now, today's culture, those last two verses, we're not going to spend time on that, but it just comes to mind. Not wanting to uh, text you, I thought I would, uh, um, I would wait until I was able to see you in person and talk to you that way put a little bit of context on it. But our focus verses are verses 4 through 11. And he's writing here to a woman and, uh, and to her household. And he says he's rejoicing. He talks about the love. And then he gets into, in verse 7 through 11, the beware section. For many deceivers have come out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Coming into the flesh. They had a different doctrine at this time. Maybe you've heard of the Gnostics or you've heard of uh, uh, the Nicolaitans or you've heard of some of these different doctrines that were there that had to do with the doctrine of Christ and who he was and what his origins were. And remember, when we talk about Christ, we are talking about, that's the Greek word again for the Messiah, which is the Hebrew term for the anointed one, the one that had been promised from the Old Testament. And so we're referring to here the Christ, we're referring to Jesus, the Christ. If they didn't have that doctrine, that there are deceiver and an, and antichrist. And antichrist. Not the antichrist, and antichrist. Many antichrists, basically anti-opposed to Christ. But basically, you need to be following that doctrine. You need to be following the doctrine that you've been taught. You need to be following the doctrine about Jesus and his virgin birth. And how he came and was crucified, died, was risen, and then ascended into heaven. And that's part of our salvation. If somebody comes to you with that false doctrine... They're a deceiver. And it says, be careful. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Be careful that you don't lose. We've talked about this in past weeks. You need to stay abiding in Christ. Don't lose. Don't be deceived. We need to stay in Christ. Some would say that we can't lose. The point here is that we need to be careful that we keep our focus and we don't get deceived and we walk away from God. Don't lose. Verse 9, we have to abide in that doctrine. But then it gets kind of interesting. It says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not Receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Wow. Sometimes people come to your door and they knock on your door. And they don't share our doctrine of Christ. Now some who like a good debate and have a good discussion might determine, hey, let me bring them into the house. And have a conversation with them. 
And it says, don't even bring him into your house. It's a very interesting concept, isn't it? Don't even bring him into your house. They're a deceiver. Yeah, but I want to convert them. Well, go stand on the go meet someplace or something. But it says, don't bring them into your house. It says, don't even greet them. <clears throat> if you look behind, there's a couple of Greek words. If I, I looked at them and tried to get commentary on what they meant and, and how it flew into that. But the concept means it's, it's like, don't, don't say, hey, hope you have a great ministry. Or don't endorse them. Don't, don't greet them and say, hey, get well with you in, in, in this regard. Don't. Because you don't want to be part of that. You know, if you, I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, a, I was at my, my grandmother's, and I'm thinking about the, my grandmother's place that she stayed in before she died. Not, no, I guess it was before that. But it was kind of like a row of apartments, and you've seen these places maybe on TV and stuff. And you think about when somebody comes to your door and teaching a certain kind of doctrine, and you welcome them into your house, everybody else is like, oh, that's interesting. But don't even let them in your house. These deceivers. Don't even greet them. I don't think it's saying there it would be inconsistent. It's not that we're supposed to mistreat them. It's not that we're not to be kind to them, but we're not to endorse them and say, as the term I read in the commentary, Anna Clark, Godspeed, I believe is what he said. You don't say, oh, Godspeed, oh, may God be, help you on your journey to be a false prophet. Don't even let them in your house, don't entertain them. Now, it might be, as I read some places, that she might have had services where other people would come in but don't let them come in like as an evangelist or something into your house, or you, maybe you've had people of different doctrines come to your house, knock on your door, and they want to come in. They want that opening. And so you bring them in, and you think you're going to convert them, and they confuse you. Be careful. Be careful. It says don't let them into your house. Kind of curious what ministers and preachers of different doctrines do you let in your house? You ever heard of this thing called TV? What doctrines are you consuming through the TV? What doctrines are you consuming in your house through the radio? What doctrines are you consuming through your phones? What doctrines are you consuming through Facebook? What doctrines are you endorsing through your likes on Facebook? Well, we don't want to think we don't like them. Well, we don't want to endorse false doctrine. You're sending a, a message. And so I tend to be careful on what I click on likes because some of the times you're forwarding things that 
look good, but it's from a website or from a group that has false doctrine. And they said one thing, that Jesus is love, and you click light, and it goes back to the other doctrine of Jesus Christ, or the other scripture of Jesus Christ, or the other gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's false. But you've endorsed it. You said greetings because you don't want to offend anybody, so you've got to like everything. Be careful what you're endorsing. Be careful what you're letting into your household through whatever means. But you might bring them in and you may want to convert them. But what is you protecting when you protect your household? Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as a received commandment from the Father. Talks about children. Talks about Father. If it was a church... You know, it could be, you know, widening it to the people that come into her household that she ministers to. She might have been in kind of a central focus of, of people that, that uh, come out of her household. But have you thought about when you bring those people into your household, where are your kids at? Are they hearing this? Bring your child in and let them hear this. They're sitting around playing and they're hearing whatever on the TV. Whatever doctrine or whatever doctrine that's on the radio that you're listening to. Or protect your household. Guard your children. Guard your children. What are you exposing them to as far as doctrine? What are you letting into your household? So it says, don't let them in, don't greet them. That's for your own good. You've got to guard against that. But we're also told in Deuteronomy about teaching our children. We preach that to you. When we rise up and we, basically they're going to see your conduct and how you respond to things and how you Establish things and, and uh, your mannerisms, your speech patterns. They're going to mock and mimic that. And so you're listening to this doctrine, they're going to listen to that. But then the other part of it, we're expand, as we think about this broader topic of guarding your children, what other things are you teaching them and what other things are you exposing them to? Because if we look at Deuteronomy You know, when we think about Proverbs, train up a child. But if we do look at Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. Verse eighteen, let's back up. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign in your head, and they shall be the frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Teaching them. We teach through conduct. We teach through 
our actions. We think through our abilities. We are to teach them. We are to love the Lord. And we are to teach them. Now, what are we teaching them? If we're to teach all those things to our children, I want you to think about this. As we apply this, guard your children. You have your children. What's the most formable years of your child's life? When their personalities form, probably from birth up to the ages of five or six or seven or something like that, right? Basically up to the time that you have to send them, you about have to send them to school. These are your opportunity to form their personality. This is your opportunity to heavily influence their worldview. Where is God in the picture? How do these things fit in? They can pick up your mannerisms and your, how you respond to things, what choice of words you use, your vocabulary. So you have that opportunity to teach your kids. Now, how often do you have that opportunity? Well, kids probably, if you look it up, they're probably going to want you to sleep, depending between the ages of 1 and 12. It's going to be north of 8 hours. 8 hours is not enough for a child and some it's going to and it should probably be when they're younger it's going to be more than 12 hours right the question is if they're asleep for 12 hours and there's how many hours in a day that would be 24 if they're asleep for 12 hours that means they're awake for 12 hours who spends the majority of their waking hours with them? The husband? The wife? The babysitter? Or the daycare person? Who's raising your child? You're the parent, but who's raising your child? I would suggest to you that some might have their child in daycare for eight hours a day, so that person's raising the child. That's the patterns, potentially, they're going to have. That's the speech patterns they're going to pick up, the mannerisms. And even some point, you know, you get where the little kids might call the daycare person or the babysitter mommy. So you need to guard your children where you're putting them for daycare, if that's what you want to choose to do, or maybe, you know, when you start having children, your responsibility changes. You've just taken on a career. Dads too. Guard your children. Maybe smaller house, maybe older cars, maybe different kinds of entertainment. Maybe you don't need 200 channels. Basically, raise your children, guard your children, influence them on how you conduct yourself, influence their voice patterns and choices, place that worldview in them because the government would be more than happy to draw them in as soon as they are born and try to condition and form that away from God. 
hard to guard your children if their children aren't with you. Now, as we bring people into our house, we might think, I can, I can handle this. And maybe you really can't. I've got my doc- doctrine up. Oh, but maybe you, you think you're going to have a debate with them. They practice. They're sneaky. They're going to try to twist things around. Maybe your arrogance makes you think, hey, I'm just going to let them in. And I can handle this. Maybe if you feel like you need to convert them, you say to them, listen, I'm not comfortable doing this here. Can we schedule a time and I'll come to your house and we'll talk about it at your house. If God so calls you. I remember they came to my door one time when my family was very young and they, we, we, we stopped them at the door, but they, they talked to us. And I says, well, they wanted to come in and have a chat, and they were talking. And there was one person in front and somebody behind, and then I mentioned I was a minister. And that person stepped back, and the person that was down below, who was their minister, stepped forward to have the conversation. Be careful. Guard your children. Guard your households. Not just what comes through your door, but what comes through your TV and what comes into your household in any other ways. And it is hard to guard your children if you don't. We're not spending time with you. Now you could say, well, but you don't understand my ex or my this or my that. Well, it goes all the way back to make your choices on who your spouses are. Don't be unequally yoked. Choose who you're going to marry. All that decision affects all the rest of them. Genesis 19, 30 through 38. We're like, well, I can handle it. But do the children in earshot, can they handle it? Can the people, the other people in the household, handle it? Are you trying to convert them out of arrogance? So you can have a chat on Facebook and say, or whatever, social media. Hey, I talked to the so-and-so that came to office and I told them a thing or two. Just... But who heard? Who was influenced? Guard your children and in the areas that they're in. Because in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38, we're going to relay a story in just a minute. You may have heard it already. But prior to this, what has happened? God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He wiped it out. Now, you may have heard of the location where he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah and all the plains. Sodom and Gomorrah and all the plain. Where do you think that's located today? They call it the Dead Sea. Hmm. They call it the Dead Sea. And that pillar of salt, this is when Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. If you look at some of the historians that go back to the time of Jesus or post shortly after the time of Jesus, it's my understanding that pillar of salt stayed there for a long, long time. God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he saved Lot and his household 
On the way back, Lot's wife turned back, turned and fell her salt. So here's Lot and his two daughters. Now his two daughters had sit and, and been in all the wrong that had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. There in Sodom and Gomorrah, as the, the scripture tells us, that they wanted to know, biblically know, the men that Lot had brought into his house. Biblically know them. You've heard of the term sodomy. If you didn't know it, that's where that comes from. These were homosexual men, or bi, or whatever you want to call them. But God destroyed that city. Here's Lot and his daughters. Now Lot was in there, he was doing his, his things, but his daughters, I don't know if their logic, well, let's just read the story. Genesis 19, 30 through 38 then Lot went up out of Zorah and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, and for he was afraid to dwell in Zorah. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I will lay with my father. I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So the Moabites and the Ammonites came from this unholy activity. See, they thought in their minds, we've got to preserve his lineage. We've got to, uh, to make this going forward. And, uh, you know, maybe we can't, I'll read the commentary, but maybe, maybe, maybe we, can't, we can't marry these other people because we won't be allowed to, to, to do that kind of marriage. It wouldn't be right. You know, we can't do that, and uh, we need to continue his lineage. Um... So, you know, we just had this emergency. This is a crisis. It just destroyed this land. And so right now we've got to do something. I mean, like right now, because of this crisis, we've got to do something right now. So, so how are we going to get this done? Well, well, we need to lay with our father so we can continue his lineage because there's no one else. The only way we continue his lineage is to, to lay with our father. Our mother's dead, so how are we going to continue his lineage? Well, we've got we to do this. We've got to lay with our dad, but he's, he's not going to want to do that. You know how these older people are. They've got this will. We might call it a... It's funny. What do we call somebody that has a certain structure, a certain standard? They have a constitution, right? But not the U.S. Constitution, but you get, get the point. We have this standard. 
He has a standard. He doesn't understand. We've got to get this done. It's a crisis. So, so we know we're going to... He's not... He's too old. He doesn't understand how important this is. So we're going to have to deceive him. We're going to have to trick him. Let's get him drunk. Let's get him drunk. Or today we'd get him high or something. So let's get him drunk. And so they determined, let's get our father drunk because the ends justify the means. We have to make this happen however we need to make it happen. And the older father doesn't know what he's talking about, so we're going to trick him to get done what we need to get done. We're going to get him drunk. And then we're going to lie with him. We're going to have incest with our dad. If it was the reverse, what would they call that? What's the word for that? Rape. I think that's like rape, right? You get a woman drunk and then you sleep with her? Isn't that a form of rape? So that's what they did with their father. The ends justify the means. And they didn't do it just once. Twice produces the Ammonites and the Moabites. The ends justify the means, but we, we're reminded in Philippians 1.27 and Colossians 2.10. Philippians 1.27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. In Colossians 2.10. I wrote down the wrong scripture. Verse 1, fix my writing here, Colossians 1.10, that you may walk. Let's go to verse 9, Colossians 1, let's go ahead and read verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk worthy of the Lord. Our conduct. The ends don't justify the means. We should be living the holy life from the way we conduct ourselves through to the results. Guard your children. Be careful what you let in the household. Don't endorse things as far as greeting people that are, that are false. I mean, certainly don't send them money, but maybe we don't send them our likes either in the false doctrines. We don't have to be mean to people, but we don't want to endorse them. Be aware that of what you're bringing in the household might be, it's not just who's at your door, it's what's coming through whatever medium. And be aware that It affects those that are in that household with you. Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, but his girls, I don't know what happened. But when they fleed, 
Of course, his wife turned back. It's a problem. And they go forward and they think, hey, it's a crisis. It's an emergency. So whatever it takes. That's okay. And then they did something unholy. All our conduct's supposed to be that way. So whether it's in the church when we're like, if it can just save one soul, we'll do whatever it takes. May what we do to reach the lost be as holy as receiving the lost. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But may we, in guarding our children, teach them that the ends don't justify the means. That regardless of the crisis, that there are boundaries that should guide us in our conduct. Because when you violate those boundaries, there's repercussions. And see, having not been taught that, and that, there, that we look to God for our boundaries and our guidance, it's difficult for some to even understand how the United States works. Not that the United States is a holy country, but... They don't understand that there are boundaries and limits. They don't understand limits in the Constitution. They don't understand that construct at all. It's a crisis. It's an emergency. We've got to do it now. Whatever it takes. They haven't been taught that. They don't see that. There's no check in their mind because at some point in their life, no one taught that to them. Or they've went someplace and they've been re-educated and approached. And so now it doesn't matter how you get it done, just that you get it done. And then think that it's a good thing, and so you repeat it. We have to guard our children. We have to think about that. We got to think about what is my household? What am I guarding them from? Who's influencing them? Who's part of my team that's guarding them and what are they teaching them? So if you have to send them to a daycare, if you really have to send them to a daycare, then you really ought to think about who's partnering in protecting your children. Who's partnering in guarding your children? What are they being taught? You know, it's less about teaching the ABCs but it's teaching that God is there, that God sets boundaries, that God loves us, God cares for us, that we need God, and God is our creator. Think of this how to think with that in mind. Guard your children. Guard the children. Be careful what's coming into your household. Be careful what you're endorsing. Be careful what you're telling other people is okay, and may your conduct be as holy as the result that you're trying to achieve. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you'd be with each one in the sound of my voice that would hear this message either right now or who knows when. May we find ourselves understanding that we have a role to play in guarding our households, but guarding our children. 
for some that have the children, they're doing the act of guarding. For some, we're in supportive roles. We can help them in the guarding. Help us to be mindful that when we get in situations and people are with us, maybe we can handle it, or we think we can. But what impact is it having on them? How do they approach problems? How do they, they reason through it? Has it perverted how they approach it? And help us remind that the ends don't justify the means. May we have a standard of conduct, a holy conduct, like your scripture? Actually, your scripture? That our conduct always operates within the boundaries of your will, obedient to you. And Lord, help us. Help us to be strong. We've seen the evidences, Father, of a society where God is no longer viewed in the right way or at all. We have to get back to guarding our children. We have to get back to thinking about those around us. We got to we got to understand we don't have to mistreat people, but we don't have to endorse them either. And we got to guard what comes into our own minds, let alone those that are around us. Our society has a cancer. The cancer is being without God, and it's eroding us. Help us to turn back to you. Help us each do your, our part, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and hearts praying.